Welcome to Leading to Sales, everybody. Happy Thursday. And so thank you again for having you uh, or for coming on here. Sorry, we're actually it looks like we're having a minor technical issue with LinkedIn, but that's no big deal. We'll worry about that later. Today, I am very excited to have the special guest that we are having on. Um, Frank Figluzzi, he actually served as a special agent in the FBI for a number for over 25 years. And he actually became the assistant director of the FBI's counterintelligence division. And he has recently released this amazing book that I, I have read cover to cover, an amazing book called The FBI Way. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and you're going to find out that this is not just a typical FBI memoir. Uh, this is a book that's going to have going to equip you to make a difference in the way that your business runs and in the way that you are preparing your business as we're moving into the future. So with that, we'll be back right after the intro with our special guest, Frank Figluzzi. Welcome to the Leading to Sales podcast. Every week, we're bringing you leadership, sales, and marketing strategies to help you move your business forward. Here's our host, internationally known sales and marketing leader, Brett Williams. Hey, Frank, welcome to the show. Brett, it's great to be here. We've been talking about doing this for a while and we're finally on the air. Absolutely. And and so, uh, so honored to have you on. I know that you've got a lot of things on your plate right now. You're spending a lot of stuff, not, you know, the least of which is your brand new book, uh, The FBI Way. So as we're getting started here, I would love for you just to um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you've got going on and and some of the stuff that you're doing with the book and then even outside of the book. Sure, thanks for having me. Uh, in a nutshell, I've spent 25 years in the FBI as a special agent uh, and was assigned all over the United States, increasing levels of responsibility, but places like Atlanta, Miami, Cleveland, Ohio, San Francisco, Washington DC five times because the FBI's career ladder involves rotating between headquarters and the field, ultimately ending up as the head of counterintelligence for the FBI. That's the title of assistant director for counterintelligence. Um, it was a wild adventure ride that helped me to glean some real life and leadership lessons that I decided to share in this book. And I also learned a heck of a lot post FBI retirement in a career, a second career um, <laughs> at uh, a major, at the time, Fortune 10 global company um, as the head of internal investigations, insider threat as part of the security, uh, corporate security structure. And now I'm on my third career in writing and media. I'm an exclusive uh, uh, co contributor to NBC News, MSNBC as a national security analyst. And I've written a book, which I know we're going to talk about. I'm eager to do so. <laughs> it's the FBI way inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. And, and it's become a national bestseller. And I think it's become a national bestseller in part because it really applies on so many planes and levels um, from the business leadership world to um, just leading any team, family or organization. And then on a much higher plane, it applies to the crises that we're going through as a nation with deep polarization and leadership questions. So much going on in the world. I take the lessons from 25 years and I say in the book, look, the FBI does, operates on an incredibly high level of excellence under extreme stress and crisis, yeah. almost on a daily basis. 
you don't have to spend 25 years in the FBI to learn the values-based leadership lessons of how to preserve what matters most. You can do it through something I call the seven C's, reflecting each of the seven chapters of the book. And that's it in a nutshell. Absolutely. So uh, you just mentioned the seven C's and I want to make everybody aware very early on, um, Frank and I have worked together to put together a guide. It's a completely free guide that you can get access to. If you go to get the seven C's.com, that's get the number seven CS.com. You can get access to that guide and uh, we'll send it over to you come in your email in about five or 10 minutes. So make sure you check that out because that will give you a very high level overview of the seven C's that we're going to probably just kind of scratch the surface of today. Um, so make sure you, you visit there. And then here in just a few moments, I'll put up the link as well to go ahead and pick up Frank's book, because I know after this conversation, you're going to want it. Um, but just, you know, for me, not everybody is a, um, I guess you could say, you know, the law enforcement geek that I am. So when you say counterintelligence, tell people just a little bit about what that, what that entails. Sure. Um, most people know that word um, as better as espionage. So I was in charge of the U.S. intelligence community's efforts to identify, we call it detect, because I'm going to I'm going to go into a, a three D's here: detect, deter, and defeat the efforts of foreign intelligence services on U.S. soil. So there are people that get up every day inside the United States trying to hurt us from yeah. a trade secrets theft perspective and espionage, trying to steal our secrets. They are often attached to foreign intelligence services. It's the FBI's job as the primary counterintel agency of the government to find those people and defeat those people. Yeah. And you share a lot of what most people um, did not see behind the scenes. And this is one of the things I loved about this book was you went from the mindset of the code of excellence. And I want to dive into that here in just a moment. Um, the mindset of the code to the tactics of the code. And then you went, what in my opinion is the extra mile of showing and demonstrating examples of that code in action when you were in the FBI. Um, so for those of you who are law enforcement geeks like me or love stories like this, Frank gives you a very unique perspective into the back end of it. You need to pick up the book to get just to get those stories, if nothing else. Um, but, you know, let's talk, let's dive into the code just a little bit or the seven C's, as you call them, because this is these are the seven C's that you have pulled out of the, the code of excellence of the FBI as to how the FBI was able to maintain the level of integrity that they have for decades now. Um, so let's, let's just talk about those seven C's. You know, if you want to, I, I don't know, I've got them, I've got our handout here handy. So I don't know if you want me to go through them or if you would like to go through them, I'd say you have them committed to art. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, on some of the key, uh, seven C's real quickly. The, the message of the book, Brett is, is this, um, you can succeed and reach excellence in a much faster and more effective way if you do it through values-based leadership. So if you're looking around going, okay, I've heard something about values-based leadership um, and I've got a lot of business models for that, that's great. But if you really wanna see an agency, an entity that does that every day, it's the FBI. Because if you think about it, the FBI preserves what matters most to the nation, what, what our democratic values are as a democracy, right? And, and they do it 
by preserving what matters most internally to the FBI. So if you take that concept, uh, we have to start with the concept, the first chapter called code. That's the first of the seven C's. And that means that everything flows from your core values as an organization. That's how the FBI does it. And there's a lot of companies and businesses out there, as you know, Brett, that say, oh, we have core values. Yeah, we, we wrote those down a few years ago. And there, there's a plaque in the lobby that talks about our core values. <laughs> the, the problem is no one ever seems to know what they are, nor do they ever brush them off and, 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 uh, and make them more relevant, perhaps. The yeah. FBI, virtually every employee can tell you the core values of the Bureau, where to find them, and how they live them out every day. So if you're gonna develop a code of conduct, and I and boy, the, the message of the book is, your team needs a code of conduct, um, do it by identifying first what matters most. What does that mean? Things that you'll never do as a business, things that you must do as a business, those have to be defined and delineated. And that takes me to the second of the seven C's, conservancy. Conservancy means that it needs to be a team sport to protect what matters most values-wise to your business. It is not someone else's job. And so often in business, I consult a lot with companies. They tell me, yeah, we've got somebody down the hall that handles compliance, standards, integrity, and ethics. That's not the answer um, in no. the FBI. The FBI is, yes, we have those people. In fact, I was one of those people during my career in the FBI with internal affairs and audits and inspections, but it's taught from day one at the FBI Academy that every single employee is a steward of something much greater than themselves. And if you can get your employees, your team understanding that it's their job, not someone else's, to preserve the core values and the code of conduct, you're well on your way. And the book explains how the FBI does that. They, yep. for example, if you're if you're raising your hand for leadership, if you're selected for leadership, you are throughout your leadership journey going to engage in assessing performance of others, right? The corporate audit staff concept. But even deeper than that, you're going to have to make some tough disciplinary calls throughout your career on other coworkers and whether or not they have veered off the sheet of music that we're all supposed to be on. That's con that's conservancy. Um, I talk about clarity. Clarity means it's like I said, it's nice to have core values, but if nobody knows what they are and they're unclear about them, that's a problem. In the FBI, it's actually written down. <clears throat> if you do this, this will happen. Now it's yeah. not locked in stone, but there's a range of things that could happen to you if you do this. There's no surprise. There's nobody that can say, gosh, I... I didn't know that would happen to me if I drove the, the FBI vehicle drunk. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, they know it. And it's articulated with, with clarity. Yeah. Um, and and we, we could move on to the others. I, I walk people through consequences. So much today, Brett, I see corporate leaders, business leaders saying, it's really hard for me to pull a trigger and, and discipline or counsel an employee or even terminate an employee but you have to as a leader. Sometimes as a leader, you're going to upset people. It's all about how you do it. That leads me to the next chapter, which is compassion, right? You can't have consequences that are effective, that where people are going to believe your values and adapt them as their own if they don't see compassion in your decision making. That means looking at employees holistically, looking at your clients holistically, 
so that you understand where they came from, whether or not your organization played a role in them going off the code. The FBI looks yeah. at that very holistically. I give some real tough stories in the chapter on compassion and consequences yeah. about making very tough decisions because the FBI is loaded with good people. But the, by the time they got to my desk in internal affairs, something had gone wrong. And I yeah. had to make really tough decisions with compassion. I then get through credibility and the uh, credibility. Look, the book says this, the FBI is not perfect. Credibility is not about you being perfect. It's about you being passionate about getting it right. Yes. And transparent when you screw up. That earns you trust and credibility with your team instantly. Yeah. If you get out and go, I, I, I screwed up and, and here's what we're going to do to fix this. And then be transparent about your milestones in fixing it. The FBI screws up. And when they do, it is on the front page of the newspaper. Sadly, <laughs> when that happens. But they get it right most of the time. And even when they fail, they announce, we screwed up. Here's yeah. what we're going to do about it. And then I end the book deliberately, Brett, with a chapter called Consistency. Deliberately, because consistency gives us hope for the future. It says, if you cling in a crisis, if you cling to what got you here, the, 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 the core values of your entity for our nation right now, people ask me all the time, Frank, how do we get through the extremism, the violence, the hate that we see? And, and I say, don't think there's a new way to do this. Cling to what got us here. What are the Absolutely. core values of a democracy? Free and fair elections, uh, the rule of law, the constitution, three equal branches of government. Don't abandon that and you'll get through just about anything. So true. And and I'm going to mention something here and I want to go ahead and put this up. Um, if you want to just, if you want to say, hey, Brett, the free guide to the seven seas would be great, but I don't really want to fool with that. I would just rather pick up the book. I just put it down here below. And if you're listening for our podcast audience, I'll put this in the show notes as well. Go to getthefbiway.com. That will direct you, redirect you immediately to the book on Amazon. You can go ahead and just pick up the book. Um, but there are two specific areas of the seven C's I wanted to kind of elaborate on because there's a story and we don't need to go into the story. Cause again, if you want to know the story, read the book. Um, there's a story that really took me by surprise in the compassion section. And honestly, I thought you were kind of setting me up when I was reading it. Um, because I thought, okay, he's about to set me up to, okay, yeah, compassion's good, but you can't use it in all these, in every situation. And it was the specific one about the agent and his wife. Um, that story, but what struck me more than anything about the entire, the, the entire chapter of compassion was, you know, in my mind, and this is probably what a lot of people are going to be looking at is you're a, you were a leader in the FBI and the FBI obviously has to have very strict codes of conduct. And therefore, like you're saying, uh, the equal, almost equal and opposite reaction, if you will, of someone's action. And I expected the compassion chapter to be a little bit short, frankly, because I'm thinking, okay, you know, these situations that you're laying out, it's to me, it was almost like there's no question here. But then as you started to uncover them, I found that what most people would assume would be missing in an organization like the FBI, um, because there is, it necessitates a degree of rigidity in a lot of those pieces you really highlighted some very specific stories and then, you know, the mindset that it's more, that is the most important part that 
it, that it, uh, allows the FBI to maintain the level of rigidity that's needed. Um, so when you're talking about business leaders today, like you're saying, I find two ends of the spectrum. You know, you've got the ones that it's like, hey, that's the rule. It's black and white. Goodbye. I'm, uh, you know, see you later. And then you've got the ones that nothing almost ever happens regardless of what goes on. So as we're developing leaders, how did you at the FBI really cultivate that compassion to, to maintain that balance between the rigidity and the flexibility? Yeah, let's talk about, um, let's touch on the internal affairs aspect of my career. And that's where I really learned the compassion thing. And I, and I, I, I urge all leaders to build compassion into your mechanisms and systems. You say, well, how the heck, how do you do that? I mean, I, I don't know what you mean by that. And I'll give the example from the disciplinary side of the FBI internally. You have to, when adjudicating an internal disciplinary case, then by the time it got to my desk, that meant that an employee had been found to have violated some FBI rule or regulation at varying degrees of severity, some of them leading to dismissal. But it's built into the adjudication system that you must list aggravating factors on this employee's conduct and mitigating factors. You must dig into the employee's life and in particular, what I learned, Brett, is that really good people, and let's talk, I mean, F- FBI employees at all levels go through extensive background investigations. They are polygraphed. There's urinalysis. Every five years, every five years, their reinvestigation is done all over again, as if they were being hired again. Neighbors are talked to, finances, credit ratings, all of that. Yet, these very good people, under the right conditions, will screw up and even violate a code of conduct. And so, I found myself asking why, and it's built in, the why is built into the system and the why often involved incredible stressors on someone's life. So I, I, I tell leaders, the next time you're ready to lash out at an employee or team member, just pause a moment and build into your system of response, what's going on in this employee's life? What are the stressors that led this good person to do this? And ask the hard question, did I or my organization play a role in that stress and yeah. in not addressing the issue when we should have? That's an important part of building it. And then as a law enforcement organization, I talk about in the in the compassion chapter, compassion actually solves crimes for the FBI. And you say, well, wait a minute, how does that work? And I give the example in the FBI of our victim witness specialist program. There are folks in the FBI who are victim witness specialists. They come alongside the agents and they address the victims of horrific crimes. And one example I give is the program to address juvenile prostitution. The old days, Brett, um, a young minor girl is, is on the street prostituting herself. She gets handcuffed, locked up, fined or, 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 uh, or imprisoned, sent to juvie hall, as they say. Yeah. There's a, there's a better way to do that. Um, and to not look at them as a criminal, but rather as a victim. victim. And if yeah. you come alongside them with compassion and specialists who do that for a living, guess what? You can take them out of that lifestyle and you can get them talking about their pimps. Who is pimping them out? Yeah. What is the national trafficking ring? Where yeah. did it come? Where did that come from? It solves crimes. And we the FBI never leaves a victim behind. They stay with that victim not only for the life of the case, but after the case is through the court system. Yeah. And I love this because it's, 
And, well, I don't love that piece, <laughs> but I, I love that they that the FBI has built that in. But I think the key to this is, you know, from a business leader perspective, whenever whenever I was reading that story outside of, you know, just reminding me of the horrors that the FBI has to face as an organization and, and agents individually on a regular basis. But outside of that, it reminded me of there's always a story behind a story and anything that's going on in our organizations. Um, first and foremost, the thing that I love that you weave through the entire book was leaders taking responsibility not only for the implementation of whatever code that they're putting into place, but also taking responsibility for whatever part they or their or, or their organization could have played in any violations of that code. Um, I love that because it's something I think that is often missing. But the other piece of it is, is realizing the risk involved as, as a business when there's a violation. If we own the responsibility and say, hey, you know, there's a part that that person played and there's a part in of you know whatever violation that they they decided to act on played but then there's also a part that we played it uh, it opens our minds up to looking at the at the systems and processes we have internally and saying okay are there risks here that we need to address that maybe we didn't even realize were there because we're not in the in the weeds if you will yeah I, look look leadership and increasingly as you move up the ranks in leadership is, is really about that credibility. And what does credibility equate to? Accountability and transparency. And it's it's funny because it's almost counterintuitive to human nature. When something bad happens, you know, look, look at little kids who are, you know, stuck with it. They broke the cookie jar. They threw a baseball through a window. What is that human nature to do? Um, I don't know how that happened. Um, someone, someone else did it and they back away out of the room, right? Yeah. Okay. We do that as adults and leaders every day. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I want to back out of the room. You yeah. have to train yourself counterintuitively to own up to it. Yes. And it actually works out better because, as they say, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. And if you learn as a leader to go, I own that. That's that's on me. That happened on my watch. It, it just works out so much more successfully, and it makes you a more credible leader. Yeah, I love that. And that's what's funny is you've just segued beautifully into the next area that I wanted to specifically talk about was the credibility side. Because um, I see so often today that we hear and it's become a bit of a cliche buzzword. Um, and that's one of the things that bothers me about it. But it, we hear, you know, we need authentic leaders. Companies need to to display their authenticity and, and all of this thing. And I, I love the meaning behind it. But because it's become so, so much of a cliche term, it, it's kind of losing its value. But I love that you emphasized the credibility side because I feel like it's so much more holistic of, you know, you and the the comparison you make, and I love this, is that when an agent shows up on someone's door, whether it's because of a manhunt or because of an investigation, and they flash that FBI, those FBI credentials, then the organization has to make sure that they have done the work to maintain the credibility behind those credentials so that the agent can actually be effective in executing their job. And, you know, I see so many, we see breakdowns of this on the corporate level on so many different levels. But when you're building in that credibility, when you're, for lack of a better word, systematizing that credibility, um, it, how do leaders, like you're talking about pressing in, they're pressing in and they're, and they're almost going counterintuitive with their own personal authenticity. How do you build a culture around that credibility? 
This is a great question. Um, and and the, the one word answer is process. And, and I'll explain because pr process matters. So much of what you talked about early in this question was is window dressing. This 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 like this concept of authenticity. <laughs> you know, I, I as they say, it's all about sincerity. If you can fake that, you're fine, right? And it's, <laughs> but so many people try to fake it um, because what one area that's really hot right now is the whole area of reporting compliance around sexual harassment, right? The Me, the Me Too movement. And yes. you'll see leaders come out and go to and say to their employees, I will not tolerate, you know, the following behavior in this office. And, and they feel like that somehow, that's all they need to do. But employees can see right through that if there's no process that's put in place for them to report. And reporting has to be redundant. I mean, you can't get out and go, I will not toler tolerate racism, sexual harassment. And then and then you've got nothing in place, no mechanisms to receive um, reports of such activity, to investigate it quickly, and to push out results quickly. Yeah. If you don't, you've lost the credibility and the authenticity, and employees will see right through that. And eventually, they will walk out the door because you're not walking the talk. Yeah. Put it, it put it in the process, build it in, build that program, and you'll see people will buy into it and adapt your values because they believe in you and in the system. I love that. And that's, you know, what the, the thing that the link here between all of this is that we have to realize as business leaders that this is not just a feel good process that Frank walks us through in this book. Okay. The reason this matters is because by putting these processes into place, we're equipping our teams to win. And just like the the like the analogy that or it's not really an analogy, the example that Frank uses in the book of the FBI agent needing the credibility of the bureau behind him when he flashes those credentials, our employees need the credibility behind our organization in order to effect the activities that we're trying to affect in the marketplace with credibility and actually be able to, to impact. And that's, that's another contributing factor to, to um, losing employees and having, you know, I, I hate to use the word churn because I feel like it's, it almost dehumanizes what we're actually doing to our employees. Because if we're losing that many employees, we have a systemic problem. You know, Brett, I, I talk about this brand and reputation issue. You know, a lot of corporate types might say, Hey, what does the FBI have to teach me about um, preserving and maintaining my brand. What they what do they know about branding? Think about it. If an FBI agent is flashing his or her credentials at someone's door asking for help to stop a, a domestic terrorism act, a, a kidnapping, whatever, and that citizen has to pause for a moment and go, eh, I don't know. I've heard some things about the FBI. I don't know if I can trust this person. That that's living and dying by your brand. Yeah. Those three, those three letters. And I tell a story in the book about. Um, having as a young agent, having to rush to Atlanta Hartsfield Airport and stop a loaded commercial international flight from taking off merely by displaying my credentials. That's right. when you find out what, what you're made of and what your brand is made of. And what I love is, is you're re you reinforce that in that story because you were not an assistant director at the FBI at that time. <laughs> So it was not like you were a face that they had seen on a recent news release that you were coming up to that gate. Yeah. And you want, so I was in my twenties when that happened and, and a new agent and you want all of your employees 
to feel enabled by the strength of your brand and that credibility. If you build your system that way, then your youngest, least tenured employee will enjoy the benefits of being associated with your team. I love that. Enabled by the strength of your brand. I mean, that's when you look at that in the context of this book, that that's just amazing. And, and here's the, to me, the best part of this entire book is that Frank did not, it's not what I would call a foo-foo value-based leadership book. Like I said at the start, he goes through the mindset, which to me is the most important piece because that's how you can take the mindset and and change the tactics to, to see how it's going to fit in your organization. He then goes through the tactics that the FBI uses and how you can use them in business. And then he gives stories, really cool stories, some of them, really scary others. <laughs> but um, he goes through and gives those stories. But then the very last chapter in this book is the operations plan. And so you walk through what this looks like for business owners to execute on this within their within their organization and you walk through the value of it and so give us just a quick high level of the operations plan and then we can kind of roll from there yeah thanks in that sense the book is kind of backwards because you think well wait a minute it's certainly in law enforcement uh operations the ops plan the operations plan is briefed first and yeah. then you execute it what we do in the book is i say i've done it now here's how you can do it. Here's your ops plan to move forward with what, what's laid out in the book. And I, I quickly walk through the seven chapters again from code to conservancy, clarity, consequences, compassion, credibility, consistency. And, and I say, here's what this means to your team and organization. So, you know, again, starting with code, I say, have you sat down recently and with your team with your leadership and said, what is it we stand for? Because the, the Bureau has what they call bright lines. They, they tell employees in no uncertain terms, this one thing is so antithetical to what we stand for that if you do it, you will be terminated. That is a healthy exercise to go through for any team. It might be lying it might, in, in the FBI. It is that one thing is lying under oath. That yeah. gets you terminated. You're yeah. useless to the FBI if you've been found to be <laughs> Uh, dishonest under oath. We can't put you on the witness stand ever again. Yeah. What is it about your team, your your message that says we can never do this? And and if so, here's the consequences. That's a healthy exercise. And I, I walk through the seven C's quickly in the OS plan and say, here's how you can apply this to your organization. Yeah. So I never do this on air. Um, and I'm about to do it because I because of the value of this book. Um, there is there is a sentence here. Um, that starts off the op plan, um, actually two sentences that I want to read because I want people to understand how applicable this book is to where we are in today's environment. And Frank wrote, under enough stress, people, teams, businesses, and even nations can lose the ability and even the will to spot and defeat threats to what they hold dear. Maintaining that capacity requires constant vigilance. So that that line right there should tell you that this book, in my opinion, should be on the shelf of every executive, every leader, or every aspiring leader, so that you know how you can both whether it's revamp or launch a code of excellence within your organization that actually affects change and is felt throughout every single level of your organization, like you can see it is at the FBI. 
Um, so if you've not picked up this book already, make sure to go to getthefbiway.com. That'll immediately redirect you to Amazon and you can pick that book up. So Frank, as we're closing out here, um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and how people can reach out to you and maybe learn more and, and even potentially have you teach them some more about the FBI, FBI way and, and that code of excellence. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Look, I'm, I'm immersed in a, in a career now of being the explainer on national television as to what's going on from a security values, national security and geopolitical standpoint. If anyone had told me after years of clandestine service in counterintelligence that I'd be on national television <laughs> explaining the various threats to America, I would say, what in heaven's name has happened? But but that's where I am. And so I do a tremendous amount of public speaking um, and people can reach out to me um, on my web website and, and book me or explore with me how I can best meet your needs for your conference, your team. I do a lot of that. My website is simply frankfigluzzi.com. You can follow me on Twitter at frankfigluzzi1. Um, and, and let's just talk about how I can help your organization and help explain why values-based leadership actually works um, and why it's the best form of leadership. Excellent. Thank you so much, Frank. I, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and spending some time with us. I know that the leaders who are tuning in here will get an enormous amount of value from this. And uh, again, you can go to frankfigluzzi.com to reach out to Frank for speaking engagements and training engagements. And then you can go to getthefbiway.com in order to pick up this amazing book. But again, thank you, Frank. Can't thank you enough for, for coming and speaking with us today. Um, if you don't mind to hang out for just a moment, I'll go ahead and close this out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. So thank you all. Thank you, the listeners. I can't tell you how much we appreciate your uh, participation, your viewing, and for tuning in here each and every week as we work to bring you the foremost thought leadership leaders that are going to help you move your company and your business forward. With that, we will be live again here on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, and we will have Linda Roth with us. And Linda Roth wrote the book, literally wrote the book on digital transformation, but we'll talk more about her and with her on Monday. So she will be here on Monday. And until then, I am just here to keep reminding you, either give value or don't even bother. Talk to you then. <laughs>